So today in the reading corner, I'm very pleased to be welcoming Julia Green. Julia is the Professor of Writing for Young People at Bath Spa University and course director of the very highly regarded MA Writing for Young People. She's the author of 19 books for children. Most recently, these include The Wilderness War to the Edge of the World and The House of Light. And for younger readers, Tilly's Moonlight Fox and Seal Island. Julia's stories are infused with the best qualities of humanity. They deal with family and friendship, and they're hymns to the natural world, not least in her latest novel that we're going to be talking about today, The Children of Swallow Fell. So welcome, Julia. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here on this lovely sunny morning. It is. And we've had some good weather recently. Just for listeners, we're recording in May 2020. And so you'll know that we're uh, in the UK and we're just coming out of a process of lockdown. Julia, <laughs> the children of Swallow Fell, to some people who pick this up and read it in August, it might feel like the novel was a little prophetic. It's set in a time of war and pestilence and is essentially a survival story about six children who come together and learn new ways to live, ways to keep both their bodies and their souls together. Can you tell us how that story came to be? It's a very good question and it is very strange how it has come to seem so very resonant for the times we're living in now. But I wrote it before any of this happened. I, um, I often start stories with a place and that's what happened with this story that I've been walking in the um, wonderful area of Yorkshire, the Dales called, and particularly one called Swaledale. And I started imagining a story. I don't know quite why I decided to set it in Rome as well as it, it starts off, the story starts actually in, in Italy. Um, probably because we'd just been there and had an extraordinary time and I thought what an amazing place it would be to write about and I'd had the experience of watching the birds, the starlings, um, in their murmuration over the river and so often a story for me comes, brings together several strands but I also knew I wanted to set a story that had bigger themes um, that had started for me really with my the book before with the house of light when i started thinking about the world we were living and where it was heading and deciding that i was going to set a story slightly in the future so the children of swallow fell started with a child it started in italy and a sense that there was something coming something terrible that was going to change the world and i was imagining global conflict sorts of civil war breaking out all over the place, the breakdown of law and order, um, divisions between governments and people. And all I suppose it's my response to the world we've been living in. Um, and then I decided to take the, the child on a journey. So, well, she took me really. And so she goes with her father to the north of England, to this place, uh, to, to the sort of future, a future place that I don't specify, but it's not that far in the future, where something terrible has been happening and they've also had this period of sickness. And the place that they go to is isolated, desolate, there's nothing there, or that's how Isabella sees it. But to her father, who was brought up there, it's a place of safety. And that's why they go there. They go with, with 
um, just the two of them on a, a train journey, a long, long journey, before transport links are closed down. And so it means that they're there without her mother and her sister. And uh, I suppose that's how stories start. It's a sort of collection of things in my mind, things I'm living through, things I'm experiencing and thinking about. But I wanted to write also a story about change and about how we adapt to change. And of course, that's something that we've all now been doing, um, learning how quickly, actually, how flexible human beings are, how when we have to change, we do change. And that's one of the strands in the story, really. It's like when change is forced on us, we are able to make change. And that's something I hadn't realised was going to be so very pertinent. In fact, Isabella recognises her own change as well, doesn't she? At one point she says, I'm different. Yeah. And uh, she recognises the positives in that. Um, I wanted to ask you about the the setting and whether it would have been a different story had that setting been urban. It would. And of course, I start with the urban setting. And one of the ways that Isabella changes is by having to learn about a very different landscape and different setting. She's a, a city child, but she's a city child who always has noticed things like the birds. And she's got an artistic, creative family background and that the swallows and the swifts have been and the starlings um, have been part of her world even in the city so she takes that with her back to this place or up to this place in the north which is very unfamiliar to her but she gradually learns about how instead of seeing it a place where, of nothing and you know where there's nothing happening as no one um, she learns to see it in a slightly different way but of course she always misses the people the community the society she's grown up in and I think having spent some time in Italy quite recently I, that was one of the things that really struck us the, the sense of community and just a sort of sense of, of people coming together out living outside more openly I think if you live in a hot place you spend much more time out in the streets in the square people coming together in that way. Mm. Uh, talking about Isabella she's your first person narrator of this story and she is unusually aware of the natural world uh, you've already mentioned her birds and even before I knew where the story was going I was so tuned into her noticing of things and to anybody who loves birds as I do the different species that are mentioned throughout that is quite phenomenal. Um, <laughs> how much did you draw on your childhood in creating this character and her experiences? That's a very interesting question, isn't it? Because in a way, all the characters you create have to come in some way out of you, who you are and the things that you notice, um, even though you're writing, you know, I'm writing a child and I'm not a child anymore. Um, as a child, I was, I lived in a suburban village, but on the edge of the town, I suppose, the countryside was nearby and important. So we used to go for walks in the woods and play outside and have dens. And I did notice things. And I think I was the child in the family. Yes. I mean, I have a, a sister who's a, an artist and both my sisters are gardeners. But as children, I felt like I was sort of on the edge of things sometimes watching so I think the kind of observant child noticing people, noticing things around, um, enjoying being outside. I think I've always loved that. Um, love water, love rivers and sea. 
so I think of course there's part of me who's a bit like Isabella but she's not me the circumstances uh, of your novel are very bleak you know the war and the yeah. pestilence or the di- yeah. disease but yeah. in spite of that the tone of your story is upbeat and it feels more in some ways like an adventure story than a dystopian novel is that because you're writing for children or is it because you believe that in circumstances like that that positive impulses would prevail I think it's because I'm I'm an optimistic person full of hope um and actually I think when things are difficult the you do see the best in people I mean that's one of the things that's been wonderful to see recently is how people have pulled together to help each other um and I especially think that's about children actually so if I were writing for adults would I do it differently I don't know that I would. I think I think the sense of light and hope is really, really important, especially important in writing for young people. Um, but I don't have the... I think it's possibly why I write for young people is because I don't have that kind of cynical view of human nature. Um, I, I like to feel that people are basically good, mm. that they help each other. And um, and young people, you know, one of my one of the children in, in the, the novel, Rowan, is is suspicious of people, um, but he's had to be like that. You know, it's a way of keeping himself safe. So, but he also has to learn how to sort of open up that sometimes he needs help. Um, so when his sister Kelda is very sick, he has to ask for help, and that's important for him to see to learn. It's it's a really interesting one because when I was reading the book, um, I was thinking this story, not this exact story, but this story of survival has been told many times in film and yeah. uh, books, but it nearly always is dystopian. It's yeah. nearly always people fighting against each other yeah. to get the last thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, actually, this story is as relevant for adults <laughs> as it is for children. So why do we not see that positive story in adult literature and I'm not really I suppose expecting you to answer that but it just struck me when I was reading it you know we we just don't see positive survival stories really in the same way isn't that interesting I wonder why it is and I think it's I, I don't know there's something about adult literature that somehow is drawn to the the sort of the darkness and and the difficulty and the and maybe it's a way of us sort of express it as writers expressing kind of our own fears about humanity but actually lived experience is quite different and most of us care deeply for other people and maybe it's harder to write well about when things are kind of going well but I think in in my story you know there's always that edge isn't there that things could go wrong and they nearly do go wrong and you have to have that you can't just have a story where there's no difficulty or no challenge but yes my young characters are the most positive ones I mean in a way when very early on in the novel Isabella says you know she feels like she's got to be the grown-up because her father is actually the one who struggles most with a new situation. Mm. That leads really nicely into another question that um, I wanted to ask you which was about structuring a novel like this that has a big dramatic opening but then because it's not that other kind of story there are no big plot points until you get to the end 
and you yet you've got to keep people turning the pages and I did keep turning the pages but what do you have to think about when it is such a gentle story in many ways to keep readers reading I suppose what I'm hoping is that you're so invested in the characters and caring about them and invested in the situation that you want to go the journey with them and that you'll do that so there are some more you know it's a struggle for survival she's learning new things and all the children are are having to work out what you really need to be happy and whether you know to begin with just getting your food together is enough um, but that isn't enough is it and so I suppose I ask big questions in the story what do we really need for a happy life and living alone living a very you know just the, the brother and the sister Rowan and Kelda living alone in their barn you know they don't have everything they need and so Isabella brings them new things to do with company and creativity she teaches the little girl to read and to write and so I suppose I bring I, I hope there's enough that's new in each chapter that the characters are growing and learning and this new th- I mean that's how life is isn't it so I don't really want to write about you know you, you could fill a story with dramatic events and and somehow it not engage you that's what that's my experience as a reader that you want to care about the people and care about the situation and think about some bigger questions and I suppose the story allows space for you to do that as a reader yeah it's interesting because I think children are fascinated with that idea of being able to cope alone without adults and obey the same motivation and interest underpins something like an Enid Blyton adventure story and how you can survive with a tent on an island. I'm not yes. saying your stories are like hers, but there is something for the child yeah. about being able to make it on your own. Absolutely, absolutely. And I suppose that's what has been, you know, in children's children's stories, children's literature, you know, the children do need to be on their own, don't they, to have the adventure. So uh, isn't it an, an extreme form of, you know, remove the adults and see what happens? Um, in my story I've taken that to an extreme. Mm. Uh, on a similar tack really uh, while we're talking about the craft of writing it's a beautifully crafted as we would expect it's a beautifully crafted novel um, but when you're not writing cliffhanger endings how important are chapter beginnings and endings to you because I really appreciated so much of that in your writing. That's very nice to hear. Um, well, I think about it, of course, a lot. You know, you know, uh, writing a novel is, you know, takes a lot of time and care and a lot of rewriting and thinking about where you come in and where you go out of a, of a chapter so that you're always moving things on. So chapters are great because, I mean, I like to have chapters that are quite short. I think that helps with turning the page with pace. Um, and it also allows you time to move forward. So sometimes when I've been working with, student writers you know they they kind of can't think how you get from one moment in your story to the next one without doing all the boring bits and that's where chapters come in you just jump Um, so we all understand when we're reading a novel that the start of a new chapter means time has moved on sometimes when I'm writing in a sort of early draft I actually put dates in so I sort of structure the story so I know how much time has moved on Um, and then later if I can, I take those out. I don't think they're needed in the in the finished novel. 
So ending a chapter at a place where you don't close everything down, where there's still an element of, of suspense. You know, those are chapter beginnings and endings are very important. Yeah. Yeah. You do deal with loss in the story. Isabella um, has has the loss of a yes. friend, and yeah. that's dealt with in a very gentle way, um, yeah. without us giving too much away. Can you say something about how that is woven through the story? Well, very early on, I knew I, I had the scene at the opening when there's been the explosion at the tram station and I set that up and having set that it's almost like I wrote it instinctively that's what had to happen but I didn't want to make it explicit what had happened because for a long time Isabella doesn't really want to face obviously what she probably deep down has known all along and the idea of her writing letters to her best friend seemed a really nice way of somehow taking that particular friend right through the story and also allowed a different kind of voice. So the letters are, I think, very important structuring device in the story. And I, I did that, I did it a bit to begin with and then on a sort of next draft, I thought well, these letters are really important. And so I put more of them in, um, included them. So we had that as a very important strand in the story and then of course I had to think well I have to resolve this one way or the other really um, I don't think in a children's book you want to leave everything hanging so I had to think how to do that without really hurting the reader is I, I, I want to be gentle when I deal with those very big losses that happen to lots of us um, in childhood and in adulthood but so yes yeah, so I had to think of of a way to do that and when I did finally work out how she says goodbye I was very pleased with that scene it, it felt like a, a really strong image and leaves a picture in your mind that's not harsh or horrible um, but gives a sense of of letting go. Mm, it is beautiful um, can I just ask you something very specific yeah. uh, the moth that flies yes. into the flame <laughs> And the moth that is the paper, the yeah. letter, if you like. Yeah. Did you have yeah. to go back and put the moth in? No, the moth was already there. That was what was, sometimes you do this as a writer, you put something in and you think, I don't know why I've put that, but I know it's important. So the moth was already there. And then as I was writing that, that late scene, I, the moth came back, the moth came into my mind and I thought, ah, oh, that's why I put it in earlier. And those are the wonderful moments in writing when the things that you could never plan, you just sort of, that's why I think you really have to trust that unconscious part of you that's writing the story underneath the story you think you're writing. And you find yourself putting things in and you're not quite sure why, but you trust, I've, I've learned over many years to trust those moments. Not all of them, but you know, some have come for a reason. I'm interested um, that you know you've been working as the director of the MA for writing for young people for a good number of years and you've seen some really good writers graduate and go on to forge their careers in, in children's writing so you've obviously seen a lot of good writing grow in this way does it sometimes crowd into your own work or can you set that to one side? 
Well, that's a very interesting question, Nikki. Um, I've actually just stopped being the course director of the MA Writing for Young People. So um, I've handed on the baton to the wonderful Dr. Lucy Christopher. And part of the reason for doing that was because I felt I owed it to myself at last to have proper time for writing because I've always had to, I've loved my teaching. I, I adore my teaching, my colleagues and my students. Um, but I've always had about, you know, I've had an awful lot of other people's stories in my head um, at the same time as writing my own. And I just suddenly thought, well, I'm sort of at an age now when, you know, why don't I give myself the time just to have my own stories for a while in my head that I can write. So I had a bit of time off away from my job at the university um, and in which time I wrote House of Light and the experience of writing that book was so different because I had time rather than doing my you know working full-time at the university and I thought well it will be very nice to have that experience again and maybe I'll write different sorts of stories if I have a bit more time so yes it is difficult to write and to teach but in other ways it also feeds you I think as a writer um, I've always loved the balance between being with people and being away from people so to write you have to be on your own um, but it's also very nice to be in a group of people and people who are passionate about the same things and helping new writers I mean I have worked with some extraordinary new writers and I'm inordinately proud of what we achieved on the MA I think it's over 65 published children's writers have come from our MA so it's been a privilege but I also am looking forward to more time to write on my own. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic the children of swallow fell it will be out in August it but will, yeah with a lovely cover have you seen the cover only a digital copy yeah. I've not yeah. been able to hold the book in my hand me yet. neither me neither <laughs> <laughs> can't wait that's the most exciting moment <laughs> so are you using this time to start working on the next project have you been able to concentrate on writing during this period well isn't it funny all this time um, I find it very difficult what I've been doing is I've been writing a poem every day my husband and I uh, David and I have both been writing poems every day and reading them to each other in the evening so that's been a very nice way of keeping writing um, I've just started tentatively started something which I'm not sure whether it's the next novel or not it's a strange little piece very much um, set outside in the natural world and set a, a different kind of story from anything I think I've done before and I'm not sure whether it's a long story or a short story I've also been writing short stories um, which I think are probably for adult readers which are about my childhood and I've adored writing those um, every so often I've been writing them over the last two years and I've just written another one, which is about a bookshop that um, I used to go to um, near where we lived as children with my parents. And so I'm doing different kinds of writing. And it's all feeding, isn't it? Feeding the self because you can't write from an empty place. Yeah. I think because I'm not going to new places, that's probably different for me. And normally the, each new novel has come with a going to a different place. So, so maybe there'll be a novel that's set in Bath. Who knows? It's fascinating, isn't it? The, um, the way that poetry in particular yeah. comes into our lives yes. at moments of heightened tension. Yes, we choose to read a poem yes. at a funeral exactly. or, you know, when we're feeling most intense, 
So it's fascinating that yeah. it should be a period for writing poetry too. Yeah. And I hadn't written, been writing poetry for I started off writing poetry as a child. I mean, I wrote all the time, but writing a poem a day has been a very good discipline. So that's part of the rhythm of our day. Mm. And um, I've really enjoyed it. And I think it's, yes, like you say, it's a, a more intense, honed, concentrated experience. So paying attention to language, which is something I do in the novels as well. I really think about, you know, the rhythm of the, sentence but poetry is a very useful thing to be practicing yeah we have <laughs> talked about the endings already but i would just say that one of the things that i found about some of your chapter endings was that they were little poems you know yeah. three sentences yes and it felt like the punctuation of the novel with little bits of poetry that's what it felt like to me as a reader did it that's a mm. wonderful thing for you to say nikki thank you I think it's a very, I mean, it's a, it's, I, I don't want to use extra words. I, I, I think as I, as I write more, I write, I'm sort of, you know, I want to write less, if you see what I mean, like, sort of more concentrated. I shall have to go and look at them all again. Julia, thank you so much for talking to me today and uh, for writing The Children of Swallow Fell. Can't wait to hear what readers think of it. Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk to you, Nikki. I've really, really loved it. Thanks for listening to In the Reading Corner with Just Imagine. If you have enjoyed this podcast, you can find many more on the podcast section of our website, justimagine.co.uk, plus via iTunes or SoundCloud or your usual podcast provider. Don't forget to pass the pod and recommend this fantastic free resource to your friends and colleagues.